Hello, how are you doing today? I hope you're having a good one. I'm really happy to bring to you today Jay Brown. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different because normally what I do is have a podcast session with somebody. Then it takes me a bit of time. I process it, cut it, edit it, all that good stuff, and then publish. And so usually that's about a two-week process for me these days. <laughs> and so with that being said, uh, today I just had this conversation with Jay Brown. And it feels like it's important for me to just get this out now. I really appreciate you being here. And I also encourage you to go check Jay out at his website, jbrownyoga.com. He has a podcast, Jay Brown Yoga. You can find it everywhere that you can find podcasts. Likely wherever you are listening to this, it's also there. Check him out. He's got so many great interviews, and I've been just throughout this last year loving it and listening to all of them, getting lots of inspiration. And you'll hear in the discussion me let him know how much <clears throat> he has inspired me. And so with that being said, please check him out and send him some love and support. And also, if you guys are digging the show, you like what we're doing here at Native Yoga Toddcast, then we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note, an email, info at nativeyogacenter.com. Send us a message. And also, if you'd like to make a donation to help keep this show going, keep the studio going, you can do so at Native Yoga Center on Venmo. All right. Well, without much further deliberation, let me go ahead and get this going conversation here for you. And surrounding at least the beginning of the subject, a storm in the capital. Let's begin. Hello. Hello, Jay. This is Todd. Hey, Todd. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. I just want to give you the courtesy of letting you know I've I have decided to just go ahead and hit the record button so we could just like let people hear the beginning part of this whole conversation. Well, you've listened to my show. So <laughs> you know I'm game. I, I respect that you did that. I appreciate why you would do that, and I'm happy for us to be already in it. That's cool, man. You know, I just listened. There's a few things I'd like to let the listeners know is that, um, number one, uh, I love your show. And so I'm a fan. Um, and I really appreciate this opportunity. And I feel like listening to your podcast helped me at a point where I was going through a tough time reconciling some different feelings about yoga and tradition and all these great things. And so in March, when the pandemic hit, I'd, I'd, I'd had a dream of starting a podcast. And when I started listening to your show, I started having this little inkling that I, I really appreciate conversation. And I noticed how much listening to your show helped me. And I thought, could I do that? You know, could I actually do that? And and when the right when the pandemic hit, a friend of mine had some podcasting gear and he said, Todd, you should do this. And so that was that barrier to entry got broken really quick for me. And here we are. And so I just want to say thank you. <laughs> I appreciate You're so welcome. <laughs> You're so welcome. I appreciate I can't tell you how much how much joy 
I get from hearing you say all that. I mean, doing the show been like a healing thing for me so that it it might have had any of that kind of effect for you is a bonus. And I really know what it's like to be on your side of this call. And I really, it's not something that everybody, it's for everybody. You know, I think that to just like be by yourself in a room and talk into a microphone (laughs) and have someone else want to listen to that uh, is a thing in itself. And then even to, you know, do this to dive into a conversation with someone that you don't really know at all. Yeah. And, and share it. It's, um, it's a thing. So kudos to you. I'm happy to, um, have this be like a mutual back and forth inspiration. That's cool, man. I appreciate that. And we had set this date to do this about, uh, maybe it was like two or three weeks ago. It was, it was pretty the holidays. And I remember when we, when we set the date, I, whenever I do one of these, I, I start mulling over, what am I going to ask them? Or, you know, whoever I'm talking with, like, what, what, what is my goal here? You know, and, and I, I've been doing that for a little while. And today is the 7th, it's January, January 7th, 2020. And then I had such an interesting day yesterday watching the events of what happened at the Capitol in D.C. that I feel like my whole plan for what I was going to talk to you about got shifted a little bit. <laughs> and, um, and that's where I just kind of want to ask you, how are you feeling today? Like, what, how, how are you processing what you observed yesterday? Oh, gosh. I, know I don't even know if I processed it. I mean, <laughs> we're still in the middle, you know what I mean? Like, what happened yesterday was mind-blowing. It, yeah. it was so surreal images coming through the TV. I mean, I will say this. I don't know how, how deep you want to get into politics, but I, I'm very deeply disgruntled and unhappy with the Democratic Party on so many levels. Um. I think that for a long time, people have been saying, you know, that Trump wasn't going to leave. He wasn't going to leave. And it just seems like, I don't know, I, like I said, I don't even really know what to say about it other than I'm not surprised, but still utterly disheartened and disgusted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I had that overall kind of feeling of sadness when I was observing, like you said, the imagery and the, the reports, there was that initial or just kind of, uh, you know, that sadness element of like, what in the world? Um, so yeah, I hear you. I typically have, you know, because I've been doing working with this show in the last year, which has been a pretty heavy year in terms of a lot of issues. I've been trying to stay away from, talking about politics as much as possible because I feel like people are getting it so regularly all day, every day that I've been mostly, mostly focusing on the, like how is yoga helping? How are we getting through the pandemic as yoga practitioners, teachers, studio owners? And I've just been tiptoeing around the political side and 
I guess in some respects, something that I've noticed or what I appreciate about your work is that you're, you're pretty straightforward and, and honest and, uh, and you, you, you say what you're thinking. And try, I try. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I guess that's where I'm willing today to go here a little bit more yeah. and just, um, you know, okay. I'm, I'm talk down, about I'm it. I've yeah. it. You know, you are clearly someone who listens to the show. So I am so happy that you decided <laughs> to go to what is most pressing <laughs> And like sticky and hard to talk about because I think that's really the most important place to be. I guess I first want to say like just before I, I said I was disheartened with like the Democratic Party. I want to also say the Republican Party is much worse. Let me, let me qualify <laughs> yeah. that by saying that too. <laughs> you know, I don't want to <laughs> leave them out. But to what you're asking, I would say for some time, you know, I've been incredibly because I was always a registered independent mm. in college because I never trusted either of those parties. Mm. And then when Bernie Sanders ran for president in 2016, I switched my registration so that I could vote for him in the primary mm-hmm. in New York. Mm-hmm. And then New York pulled shenanigans. Like I changed my registration really early on. Like, must have been like September or early October, I think, mm. which should have been in time for the election. And they did, they changed the rules in New York and they did a weird thing where they switched the goalpost and then a bunch of people like myself got disenfranchised and I wasn't able to go to the primary, uh. even after changing my registration. Yeah. And then in the most recent election in 2020, I feel like, you know, they they torpedoed his campaign again. I'm 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 disappointed with him as well. But I say that because to me right now, like if I really look at the situation and let's be specific, let's talk about the pandemic, which is sort of what inspired your podcast, it seems like almost. Yeah. Partly. You know, to me, like they voted for that original CARES Act and gave trillions of dollars away to corporations mm. and then gave a small pittance in those $1,200 checks. And I should be fair. I got the assistance. I got a PPP loan. Yeah. I got uh, pandemic unemployment assistance as well. I mean, I got help and they helped me through. So I'm in an incredibly privileged place that a lot of other people are not, Yeah, but I was able to do that. I will say as a side note, the reason why I was able to get that assistance, and this is just a little bit of a, interesting tidbit is because in order to start my yoga center back in 2007 in Brooklyn, I was able to get an SBA community express loan, Mm. which was this weird little thing that they were giving money to people who had really good credit, but no collateral. Mm. And I got $15,000 from the SBA to start a yoga center in 2007, Mm. which I paid off over 10 years. Yeah. So like right when I was closing the center, I paid off that loan. <laughs> gotcha. But like that because I had that previous relationship uh, like already through Bank of America and the SBA. Yeah, I I got cleared for stuff really easily. Yeah, like they already knew me or something. But yeah. that's just a side note. So I've gotten that assistance. And, and one thing that's important yeah. to mention that I think for for those that are curious, like how does how is all that even working? If in case someone's not familiar, if people 
people could have had a business for many, many years, requested for PPP assistance, and had they not had a line of credit with a bank, the bank was unable and or unwilling, I'm not sure exactly exactly how that worked, but to be able to lend that person money. You know, like make someone could have a business where they weren't needing credit at all. Like they were doing really good at business and they they were working off their capital and therefore they went to go and apply and they're like, sorry, you didn't have a credit card with us or a credit account and they weren't able to get it through that means. So I think that that's, that's an interesting note, what you're bringing about, about your prior relationship did make that easier in this situation. Well, I will also say the only reason I had that relationship is because of one specific person who mm. started a company to help small businesses navigate the wow. process because yeah. they, they deliberately make the process kind of impossible. <laughs> but I will also say it's just, and this is for yoga teachers in general, especially younger yoga teachers who are like, have eyes on this being their livelihood. And I don't know if that's something we talk about today, but I, having made a living off of yoga now for 20 years and have a wife and two kids will say that on paper, what yoga teachers do doesn't really even register. Mm. Like I'm yeah. trying to yeah. like refinance them. The only reason I, I was able to get a mortgage was a private mortgage between me and the people who own the house without a bank. Right. Because when I show them, like even though I can even show the income mm. that meets the requirements, most mortgages are done with algorithms now. Oh. And if they can't punch you in to the algorithm, mm. you need to be granted an exception. Wow. And in order to get an exception, you have to go through underwriters and they are adverse to taking those kinds of risks. Yeah. So it's, it's a, I, I'm sorry, we went down a little bit of a weed side track, okay. but it, I do think that it, it just yeah. all plays into like my politics, which is what your question started with. Yeah. Which is that I tend to be pretty radical. Like I think that both of the parties are actually serving corporate interests right now. And I don't see anybody challenging the power structure. Mm. Even recently, I was in favor of the force the vote where I wanted the squad, I wanted AOC and these other people to force Nancy Pelosi to have a Medicare for all vote on the floor or not vote for her for speaker. Mm. And they didn't play that kind of hardball mm. because the progressives never do. And other people will. And those are the ones who end up getting their agenda served. So mm. to me, I don't see enough. I, I don't, I'm looking for the politicians who are going to actually challenge the power structures that I think are making things the way they are when they don't have to be that way. Yeah. Interesting. I hear you. I mean, I, and I agree. I think that because it's so only one day, this is, this is yesterday. And anytime something big happens, it, it takes time to process. And, and I always find I want more information. And, and I, when I spoke with someone this morning, one thing that I, uh, side note, uh, I also got started as a massage therapist and yoga teacher 20 years ago also am married and have two children. And that's something okay. that, that, that I appreciate is I feel that um, being a parent and making our way as parents, my wife is also a teacher, um, as you know, I, I appreciate that. I also am thankful to have this opportunity because I feel like the camaraderie of we're in the same boat. <laughs> we're in a very similar, yeah. we're all in the same boat here. Uh, so 
Um, and how, how has this year been for you? I know it's, you know, I, I listened to what you had to say about the turn of the 2021 and, you know, the arbitrary set of numbers and how does that really affect what's going on? And, and I felt like this morning, I'm like, well, there goes that whole idea of 2021 just being this rosy, uh, you know, fantasy land of only good vibes going on. Like, it's January 6th, then we're already in like, but then another person who, you know, and, and I'm bouncing these ideas off people and, and I'm always feeling like I'm just wanting to see where are they at. And, and, um, it's amazing how different reactions, how many different reactions they are. And I know this is obvious because this is what we're up against every day. Um, what was your reaction though to when the people, got up over the top of the steps, something about that to me. I mean, I, I really respect the police force and I have full respect for fire, police, military, and people that have really put their whole lives into protecting and taking care of us. Um, but it just seemed to me that it was so easy for people to get in and it just kind of shocked me. I mean, I've gone to other institutions like museums or in times that I've been in DC, I feel like it's so locked down already. Like I can't even imagine breaking in, you know, it just, what was your, what are you, how are you feeling about that? I don't know. I mean, I, I jumped online for a second this morning and there was a slew of these memes, you know, Comparing like what it looked like during the BLM post protest mm. and what it looked like when they were easily able to just move past these our police officers into the state capitol with guns. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that you know, it's really obvious. I don't know why we beat around the bush. Like we have a white supremacist president, yeah. uh, and uh, it's emboldened white supremacist voices in our country, and that's why. So many of us are, and for a long time, people like would, if you would say that about the president, you weren't like they would, they would come back at you. But I don't think at this point, anybody could deny it when yeah. you see the Confederate flags flying as they roamed the halls yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It's, um, it does seem quite systemic. Yeah. You know, I've talked to plenty of people about systemic racism, and I think that's a real thing, and we should be honest about that, and we need to be honest about that. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like, do you, what, yeah, all right, good point, good well, point, yeah. I uh, mean, where were you going with it? Yeah, uh, good question. I I guess that, that, that for me, out of the whole imagery that I observed that that to me was just the one thing that that just something didn't something didn't add up um so and I guess there's until we have more information you know I'll be able to make a better decision I mean when I listen to my gut if you want to go there my friend I will say like I in the past certainly I'm prone toward believing a certain number of conspiracy theories, frankly. <laughs> you know, when it comes yeah. to aliens, which they've actually recently, a lot of different places have sort of been putting out press during the pandemic about the existence of aliens. And I mean, I don't want to sound crazy, but I think that there certainly are. And I always say this, you hear me say it on the show a million times and people don't like it, but it's, it's 
still sticks in my craw because I was in New York on 9-11. And no one has ever explained to me why World Trade Center Building 7 fell down. No planes hit it. There were no, no, none of the surrounding buildings were damaged. No one ever talks about it. Mm. And it drives me crazy. Like I, so I don't really always believe official stories or what we get to see on the news. Yeah. And the people who were there, like, I don't know, the, the rioters in their whatever weird hats and makeup and like this, the people who were, they seemed kind of like, Idiots. I don't know. You know what I mean? They were very impressive. I don't know. So if they I, were, I, act, I, if they were actors, I don't know. I just, yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying they're actors. I think they're whatever they are. I just, to me, I take all of it with a big grain of salt because yeah. I don't really yeah. think that we get to see. I don't trust a lot of the news sources, and I mean, I watch stuff, but I, I'm always looking at all through a very discerning eye because you read known Chomsky and manufactured consent, it does come back to what I was saying before. Like there's a massive wealth inequality. There's people who steer the policies and agendas in a way that protect their power and wealth at the expense of the majority of people mm. and finding ways to seize back some of that power and wealth for people rather than a very small few uh, is I think been the the plight of America for a long time, and I don't know we the the, the scales have tilted away from the people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say yeah, that. yeah, you know, good point. I appreciate that. And on a, I guess we could consider this a similar subject, but on a slightly different subject, something so that the listeners can understand my initial appreciation for the work that you're doing. Uh, I practice Ashtanga yoga. I have um, studied in Mysore, practice in Mysore with Patabi Joyce uh, in Ooh. 2004. And um, I, prior to that, practiced with Bikram Chowdhury and did his teacher training in Los Angeles in 2002. Um, so I, I say that because I have been around yoga personalities and guru um, gurus so to speak that that then have had this sort of like kind of shakedown of the foundation and I was struggling when there were there was conversations surrounding the allegations of uh, Patabi Joyce now when it when the allegations around Bikram were happening to me that was something that was very obvious I was very close to those people in uh, Los Angeles and La Cienega Boulevard and I saw firsthand and in my gut instinct always kind of told me that something is really wrong here and my wife and I decided to let's get out of here let's go to india and go practice ashtanga and so i had this like searching for a guru experience and feeling like i'd found one and was really enamored and then when the allegations about patabi joyce were coming out i just had a whole meltdown of like every situation i've had where i've gone and practice with a you know indian teacher there's been this um, moral dilemma attached with them. And you probed Ashtanga practitioners in a way that was just perfect for me at the time. And 
I feel like those conversations were so helpful because perhaps you weren't in the heat of the Ashtanga world, so you could see it from an eye outside of the inner circle, so to speak. And so that that's really important work, and I think that's something I really appreciate. Um, where are you now personally in your appreciation of the realm of the guru and the realm of the personal the independent practitioner figuring it out for themselves. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel. It's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Well, first, before I get to your question, I will. I'm curious when you say that I did, that the show played a role in terms of the, the stronger community, are you talking about a specific one or the, cause I had a bunch of them. You had a bunch of them and I, I listened to, I think I listened to all of them and yeah. I, I might've missed one, but I, that's how I actually found your show is, is, um, was through that line of inquiry that you were taking. And, um, I, it helped me process all of it. You know, because I feel like there was a lot of no one was talking about, or it was taboo to talk about, or and it was that investigation that you did, in my opinion, that was was helpful for me to at least hear what people are saying. And the one with Rain was it, Karen Rain? Am I correct? Yeah, that one was like life changing for me, and I think also too because on that episode you really got put on the spot. Like in a way that, that, that was, I was that so was uncomfortable. I mean, <laughs> I mean it, believe me, you were uncomfortable. And you know, we, we, that was a time where we recorded again. We did the second thing where she got to ask me questions. And you know, that was a real learning experience for me as well yeah, yeah. in terms of doing the show and handling those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Um, and I've been, you know, I've made mistakes, I think, but what I would say to you is that, the reason why I think that those conversations were useful in that way for people like you is that, you know, I started this show wanting to like reflect back on like the last 10 plus years of, you know, being in the yoga game Mm. and really noticing how much things had shifted. You know, when I came in in the nineties, as if you listen to the Krishna Das episode this week, you know, I, You know, and it goes to your question about gurus. I was asking Krishna Das about gurus this week for much the same reason I think you're asking me about. Yeah, yeah. Which is that in the past they were the authorities. We looked to them to tell us what yoga was, or to you know to teach us, but give us the teaching. Yeah. And the generation before me, people like Krishna Das, they had real gurus. I mean, to them it was very real. You know. And they played a very special role, and those they brought those experiences back and opened yoga centers that we went to. And 
we didn't. I went to India and looked for a guru and didn't find one. You found one in Patabijas, but I was. I studied a bunch of different systems of practice, and I was never interested in those uh, the heads of those systems as a guru. They never because they never connected to me in the way like when Krishna Das talks about Nareen Kuruli Baba, mm. you know, like yes. they didn't interact with people like that. You, it was all asana and pranayama and. And so ultimately I did gravitate to the teachings of Jessica Char because he's one of the few Indian teachers. I mean, his son had a big fall from grace, but he's one of the few who I, I think holds up. Yes. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but in terms of where I stand with gurus, you know, I just got an email from one of the teachers in my teacher's class today. I have it tonight. We're going to talk about this because they heard the show with Krishna Das and she was sort of saying like, there's this idea of this like special people like Nareem Kuroli Baba, who was, you know, this beyond ego place and that can meet them and be in their presence. just like bestows this blessing on you and they, they help you on your path. And, and I've never met anybody who had, I've had that experience with mm. and very few people I know have ever met anybody mm. who had that experience. Yeah. And the yeah. idea, and I, and it's a problematic idea to, that we have these, that we put up some special people like that. Because yeah. I've also met, and if you remember, I had that episode with my friend who's like a farmer. And talking to him, he was like, he could be a guru. You know what I mean? Like, mm, yeah. So to me, I, I've always been trying to find the spirituality and the reverence of the like totally mundane life I'm having. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so I'm trying. So ideas of like guru that make it seem like, oh, well, we'll never have that. Or that's like some special thing. I don't know. I, I'm not, I, something about that rubs me a little bit wrong. Yeah. At the same time, I don't, I don't think that I would take off the table that there are other cultures and other times where people have had an opportunity to experience life and resonate that in certain ways. And when you meet them, you feel that. Mm. And I acknowledge, I don't like discount the possibility of a real guru. Mm. But as Krishna Das was saying, real gurus, they never, they never take anything from you. Yeah. They never ask anything of you. You know what I mean? Yes. Like yeah. the way that he described it is so far from like, Patani Joyce and Mr. I am guy, these people, you know, like. On, they, on, on that note, I want to encourage everyone listening to go to Jay Brown Yoga and check out your most recent, I mean, you know, maybe by the time this comes out and your next one comes out, but have people look for the Krishna Das one. It was great. And one, one thing I love that you brought up, I mean, it made me laugh in, in such a good way because you had mentioned to him about how you had your appreciation or how you learned to appreciate the mantra practice and then when you were teaching, you decided to incorporate that and some of the students, you know, joined in and then it kind of turned into you and maybe two students and, you know, I might be changing the story a little bit, but then you found yourself right. being the only one and that it was performative and I've had a very similar experience and, um, and the mental chatter that goes on when that's happening is tough to kind of get through and so when you relayed that experience i cracked up because i was like oh my god same thing and i loved how krishna das responded with that you're not doing it 
really for anybody else. And whether or not somebody else, and, and, I, and I hope I'm doing Krishna Dasa a service here and not messing up what he said, but to the effect of how I felt that or how I took that was that you're really just chanting for yourself. And whether or not somebody else joins in or not, it doesn't even matter. And the simplicity of bringing your attention back to the Sri Ram J Ram J J Ram and keeping your mind in that process, I don't know. I loved it. It was excellent. It was great. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one who had that experience. <laughs> others maybe who are listening to this too, where, you know, if you've been at it for long enough in the earlier days, there was often chanting. There was always chanting. Yeah. And so, again, I never did call and response with people, but I always invited people to join me. And as you described, there used to always be a good number of people who chanted with me. Mm. And then as time went on, it dwindled and dwindled to where I was the only one. And then, as you said, it did start to feel like when I'm always the only one chanting for a little while, it felt like I'm performing something for everybody. Yeah. And that's an odd and feeling, then, isn't it? It's a weird... Well, it, it is. It's just it changed from being like, us all make ohm sounds together, which is what I, at some point, sort of landed <laughs> on, is just doing ohm. Yeah. Not that everybody was doing, but the idea that there would be something there. You know, like I wasn't ready to let, I couldn't let go of it completely because in my practice, I was still chanted, you know? And yeah. so to me, it was part of what I did as a teacher too. And in the early days, I used to really like that. I liked that someone who had never heard a person chant Sanskrit in the same room with them. Mm. When they came to my class, they heard a person chant Sanskrit in the same room with them. Yeah. And someone who was like, a New Yorker like them or whatever, like, like the way that Krishna Das was somebody I could relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at the same time, I will also say, as I said to Krishna Das, at some point there's this conversation around cultural appropriation that happened. Mm, that's a good and one. And yeah. I had somebody like get mad when they heard chant and leave. But I also had people from India give me hugs and thank me for it. So I, I had a lot of conversations around that, as you know, if you listen to the show about yeah. whether or not it's okay for me to chant. And at some point, I determined that it's perfectly fine for me to chant, even though I'm a white male. Yeah. But I also, like you, and like Krishnadas said, I have come back to doing it because yeah. Yeah. in a way, it, it's even more vital now than in other times in my life. Mm. And like, he said, it doesn't really matter any to me anymore. I'm not trying to win anybody over yeah. as I once was in the past. Yeah. And I think that's maybe a big change, frankly, going forward for like the yoga world is this idea of like selling people on it or winning them over mm. to me is, is that issue. That's a great point. Um, I was listening to an interview recently where um, just talking about this element of within the world of, well, even what we're doing here now, uh, but also social media and or writing and or, you know, video um, that, you know, playing to the audience and then giving the people what they want once we start to get praise because that's what the whole model is set up on but then how authentic and or where's the integrity in that? And that's a really interesting question. I was wondering if you could 
bring up, I, I, I appreciate what you have to say about this idea of letting go of social media as yoga teachers, um, because that's been a whole interesting uh, avenue in these last 10 years is how to navigate as a yoga person, <laughs> a yoga practitioner, teacher, studio owner, like there's this feeling like I have to do this or else I will not succeed. And I feel like there's a little bit of a movement going on uh, for multiple reasons that we could talk about if we choose or not, but around the line of, no, you don't necessarily have to do social media if you want to succeed. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I would go even farther and say, not only do you not need to, it's most often detrimental. Mm. Um, And I want to give a shout out to my friend and business partner, Josh Citron, because I wouldn't be able to say any of the things that I'm about to say to you if I hadn't met him and we hadn't like become friends and he hadn't helped me uh, navigate this uh, quite some time ago because back when, like I think it was maybe 2015, 2014 even, Mm -hmm. he started this conversation with me and I, it was right around the time where people like, where all the teacher training started teaching in the teacher trainings about how to do better Instagram accounts, you know, like right when social media was actually like kind of on the upturn. Yeah. He was telling me you have to get off. Yeah. And he was doing that because he has this way of seeing things. And we actually do this like yoga of business course right now where we try to teach people about this, Mm. this way of kind of seeing what he calls the, the pipeline, like the pipes, you know, the way the pipes work. Mm. So, you know, you're making all this like free content and putting it out on the internet based on this weird idea of like gaining followers or reach. Yeah. But a lot of times it doesn't actually translate into sales. Mm. So if, and I'm not saying being a yoga teacher should be about making sales. And I mean, maybe after we talk about this, we can talk about what I think yoga teacher is about. Yeah. But in terms of like you said, if you are, if you are attempting to have it be a livelihood, which I don't think everyone needs to, but if you are, there's ways to be much smarter about it, where I learned that having an email list of 4,000 people who really believe in like what I do Mm. and like will buy things Mm -hmm. because of that, Mm -hmm. or even just want to support me, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) um, is, making a living for me more than people I know who have like a million followers or whatever. Yeah. Because there's a difference between what happens on social media, which is not a real connection and actually is serving those algorithms and those companies and those platforms, not you. So having your own platform, which amounts to an email list and maybe like some content, whether it's podcasts or blogging, like you said, or even just the teaching that you do mm. and like a way to do billing. And I've kind of, we like break it down for people to not get like um, caught in the trap of like the late stage capitalistic internet portal. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a, I'll point everybody, there's a thing called 1000 true fans and I didn't, and you can Google that. Okay. And it's just this idea that it's, if you have, if you want, if you're like an artist or an independent creator and you want to be able to like make a living off of what you do, you need 1,000 true fans. Mm. And that are people who would buy what you put out. So mm. if you had 1,000 true fans, 
and you put out say a hundred dollars worth of stuff a year, mm. you just made a living. Mm. Yeah, and those people. numbers could be those numbers can shift. You know, you could have more people and less money per year, or whatever, or yeah. less people and more money per year for a yeah. lot of people. Yeah, but the idea that those thousand people are are actually more sustainable and more real than all the time and energy that gets put into yeah. social media that doesn't translate into anything real. Yeah. That's awesome. I really appreciate hearing that. And I, I'm guessing, obviously you've seen the social dilemma. Yeah. And are uh-huh. do you, do you, well, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts? Everything you've said well, kind of lines up with that. But I just want I mean, to make sure you you like it or do not like it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if like or dislike. Yeah. I've got two. I've got two kids like you oh, do, gosh. and they're doing like all this remote learning on the iPad, uh, and it's killing me. I mean, it's not social media, but it's yeah. just the technology. Like I, I'm grateful for the technology. It's certainly enabled a lot of things that I do as an independent creator. Yeah, but at the same time. I was just talking with somebody yesterday for my show and kind of came to this thing where I've been trying to do these tech Sabbaths. If you listen to me talk about that on the show where okay. I'm trying to sometimes, I haven't been able to do it every week, but I've been more consistent of having one day a week where I wake up in the morning and I go to sleep at night without ever being on a digital device. Yeah. Because I had a whole period of my life, a whole portion of my early life where I didn't have those devices, right? Correct. And my kids have always had them in their lives, you know. What year were you born, and Jay? 1972. I'm 73. Yeah, I mean, that's right. classic era, right? Like um, stretching the phone cord from the <laughs> dining room into your bedroom <laughs> to have your first conversation with your new girlfriend yeah. or boyfriend or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just remember having a beeper and pay phones and stuff that just we don't even think about anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, to me, I'm really, it's, it's interesting how much discipline it takes to not be on a digital device now. Mm. It's almost like the discipline that it took me oh. to get on a mat, to get <laughs> on a mat and do breathing and moving and like break from like life and go inward and discover yeah. myself and the universe inwardly like that. Yeah it feels like it's that hard to just take a day off and not look at my fucking phone. Great metaphor or analogy. <laughs> you know, like, I know that's a good point. They're right. Cause there was, <laughs> there was that struggle initially of like, ah, oh, how can I get up earlier? How am I going to keep this up to your right to get off of it requires so much effort. It's amazing. I saw, I heard an interesting um, idea that, you know, we've been, and I'm guessing you as well, our age anyway, with our kids going, get off the device. It's going to harm you. You know, last thing you should be doing, get off, get outside, play, interact. And now because of the pandemic, we've flipped it on our kids and we said, stay inside, look at your iPad, go to school on your iPad. And it's safer inside on your iPad. And I, I went, when I heard that, I went, oh man, that's an interesting idea because you're right. Something has transitioned. Like there's been a little flip for sure. What? Ah, okay. Well, um, you know, in terms of the, can you give us a little, can you give me an idea of uh, how you're handling the pandemic? And I know we're really trying to stay present and not get too far into the future and just kind of take it one day at a time here. 
But um, how are you feeling in terms of hopeful, not hopeful? Are you in the middle? Where, how are you, uh, you know, as a yoga teacher, practitioner, dad, uh, husband, um, you know, where are you? <laughs> you know, I, I want to be honest. You started talking about how, you know, it's all about honesty. Yes, I really, please. I really do not know. I don't yeah. know how to answer your question yeah. because I hear you. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not taking hope off the table, but I'm not feeling hopeful mm. because it's so uncertain still. Like yeah. I, like I mentioned, I did get assistance and that assistance basically got me through 2020. Yeah. Like I figured out like, okay, with this assistance and what I'm able to do with the online things that I do, this will be okay for me and my family through December, 2020. Yeah. But now we're in January 21 yeah. and they sent us a payment for the government sending the new stimulus, but it's, there's no, um, I don't have any sense of, okay, where's this, there's a certain amount of money I need to bring in a month on top of the online stuff. Yeah. And I've got that number figured out. I know how much it is now, which I didn't for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, Right now, I don't see how I'm going to make it, <laughs> you know, because yes, because I can't plan in person events. That yep. was like yep. forty to fifty percent of my income. Yeah, I've managed to like bolster the other side now to like take care of some of it. You know, mm-hmm. like I've pivoted some and done a few things to like make the online thing support a little bit more. But I still, I'm a yoga teacher. You know, like that. It's all based on coming together with people in actual in-person contact. Yes. And it's still off the table. We're having this like second wave now. And it's almost like I can't, I had a huge plan for 2020 where, you know, I spent a few years after I let go of my center in 2017 doing the international circuit. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. did, you know, bigger time events in, at Tri Yoga in London got hosted in like smaller to medium sized places throughout the world and was like doing the way that they always do it where, you know, you get your cut, whether it's like 60% or 40%. Yeah. And it's all kind of on them to like bring in those numbers. And sometimes the numbers are good and sometimes the numbers are not good and you yeah. end up not really making much off of it. Yeah. And it, it's a grind cause you're like on tour, you know, you're like yeah. plane flights and stuff. It's not, fun necessarily yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like travel that much, especially when you've got a wife and kids and you're like missing their life and stuff doesn't it look so, like that would be so fun when you see everyone else doing it and you're not able to well when you see the instagram feeds and they're like showing <laughs> you the, the selfie videos of them in all these places and you know my business partner was telling me you should do more of that you should do selfie videos of you getting on the plane to go to germany yeah, or wherever yeah. and i never did it because it it never was like feeling glamorous. Like they were doing on Instagram uh, accounts because yeah. it's hard. It's like travel, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I would say is what I had planned to do in 2020 and started to do successfully in January and February before everything closed down was this new idea that my buddy Josh convinced me to try, which was to just do my own events, like essentially kind of like, a living room tour, mm. like if you were a musician, mm-hmm. where, as I said, I have pe- like I have a, not a huge group of people or people who listen to this show. Where if I say, "Hey, I'm going to come to your town 
do you want to do a weekend workshop with me? Right. I can get a small group and we ran numbers and figured out that like I can rent spaces off Airbnb uh. and I only need like seven people to make the same minimum that I was going to make when I taught at these centers and there'd be like 20 or 30 people. Yeah. Good point. So I had this whole plan and we were trying it out in 2020 and it started off working. I did like, I believe three or four events uh, and they all worked great. And that, then everything shut down. Yep. Yep. So in a way I'm better positioned than a lot of other friends I know because the centers haven't survived. A lot of them haven't survived. Yeah. We, so the venues aren't there the same. So my plan might still work, but I still can't travel. Yeah. So if I can't travel, I can't do any of it. So back to your question, I don't, I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen. I'm, yeah. I'm really, I can't plan for it. So I don't know what to do. Yeah. I totally get that. I, I, first I like, I, I appreciate hearing that idea. That's cool. I didn't realize that. I, I kind of heard like at the beginning of some of your shows, you would say well, like, I had these great plans for 2020, but then, well, here we are. And I, I didn't realize that that was what the plan was, but that's a great idea. And that's a smart idea. And, um, <clears throat> so it's cool to hear that you kind of were in that zone or thinking about it and, and getting that implemented. I recently, my my wife and I we have a studio here in Juno Beach in Florida and we we've been here for 14 years it'll be it'll be 15 uh in in April and um you know we've been we were shut um because we had to and then when we were allowed to open up we did but we have very small size groups coming in so that everyone has space and that's just been a whole interesting experience in and of itself. And, um, but we're really, really determined, like extremely determined to not give up at, at, at any cost. And I didn't have any online stuff going at all. Yeah. And I was listening to you kind of going, man, he's, he's got this online thing. I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. And I guess one of the benefits of all this is that it forced me to by hook or cr- I mean, like whether I wanted to or not. And, um, it's, I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's, it's like starting a whole new business and anytime you do that, it's very minimal. Right. And so, um, <clears throat> I say all that, I guess I, I wanted to mention that, but I recently had a phone call from someone that wanted to rent the studio to do a workshop and we haven't done anything like that since, since February. And I started laying down like, well, we got this, we have that. You can only have this many people. You can't touch them. Um, you know, uh, we can't do this. We can't do that. And we got to be really careful of this, really careful of that. And at the end of the conversation, as I stepped off and I, afterward, I, I started thinking and looking back on, it, I went, whoa, I am under so much pressure <laughs> and there are so many restrictions right now. <laughs> this is yeah. really, this is really hard. This is really tough, you know, and, and I, and then I started to second guess myself a little bit because I was like, you know, am I being too weird? Like, am I, am I creating these boundaries for myself? And then when I look into that, I go, no, there, there clearly is. But then I'll hear about a yoga studio up the road where 30 people packed in, you know, no masks, no distance. And I go, well, that doesn't feel right. Like that doesn't feel right to me. Like, and well, it's a weird thing what you're pointing to because 
you were asking me about politics earlier and this yeah. is the moment and I haven't come up against this myself. It was, it was earlier on in the pandemic mm-hmm. when like some places were locking down and others weren't and things were a little bit more nebulous. Yep. There was like someone mentioned to me kind of off the record <laughs> that, that, you know, there were a few places that were still hosting events, but you basically had to be okay with the fact that the owners were like real Trump supporters. Yeah. You know, like, like there was a real public, like the centers that were allowed, like didn't care about masks and the centers that did was very political. And are you cool with that? Yeah. Like, yeah. How important is it for you to have a workshop that you're going to, yes. you're going to essentially y- y- support? Y- yes. <laughs> or, you know, it's a, it was a weird flap. I mean, I, I think eventually everybody had to close down, mm-hmm. but I don't know how you're doing it, man. It's got to really be, I know when I had a center, not having any restrictions at all, it still was really hard. Yeah, I guess it really yeah. depends on your lease. I mean, it depends on what your overhead's like and yeah. whether or not you're able to meet that. Cause if you are, then you can survive. I think But if, it, if yeah. you can't have enough people to come in to generate the revenue that you need to meet the overhead, you're just be drowning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're in a situation of doing privates on zoom to pay, to cover the overhead for the, you know what I mean? And, and try to yeah. try to make it work. So it's a, See, well, that's know. the thing. I have a space, I have a studio <laughs> space that I do my live stream classes out of, and I have enough room and I was having a few people come to in-person classes there. Uh-huh. It's been like a really, it's like a really bad neighborhood because it's cheap. Like I have a low enough rent. <laughs> yeah. to where you know what i'm saying yeah, like, you, you could float it but yet yeah. yeah you know what i'm saying like i was making enough off of the virtual things i was doing out of the studio that i don't have to depend on people coming in live in order to pay that rent yeah but it's interesting what you said too i think my business partner josh when i had the center for 10 years and i told him that i was gonna let go of it he was like, you have to start live streaming all of your classes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? He's like, because you're going to close the center and all these people you've made relationships with over the last 10 years are going to have no way to practice with you if you move or, if you, you know? Yeah. And he's like, and you're already teaching the classes. All you have to do is put your laptop in the back of the room yeah. and we can start a subscription service. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he was yeah. the one telling me that. Yeah. And that's what I'm surviving off of now. Yeah. Good point. So, and, yeah, I hear you, Jay. I mean, and that's why I like to talk about this uh, in open, out in the open, because either A, I know there's other yoga teachers out there, studio owners, or, um, and then I also think that translates even beyond, like you said, to independent creators. I feel like we're all in the same boat together here. You know, I feel like we're all in the same challenge. Um, and, and well, yeah. And to that point, let me join in and just say, it is absolutely true for all kinds of professions. Yeah. And I think that one of the closest parallels for me are like musicians and what happened to the music industry. Yeah. And this is like a warning to other people out there, like the Spotify like problem Ooh. is true for yoga teachers as yeah. well, where yeah. you're kind of enticed into using these portals yeah. or being part of like an online virtual festival for no money with the idea that it's going to bring people to you when in fact it doesn't like yeah. that's, Thing, like having my own like we talk about this in my business course like owning your own digital landscape separate from social media to your earlier point mm. where you are the one who handles has all the emails and does the billing yeah um is is like ground to stand on where 
you make you you don't get robbed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, the systems are set up like we looked at some numbers of like somebody who had like millions of listens on Spotify, and the amount of money they get off of that is very small because the you get such a small percentage per click. But Spotify gets everybody's monthly. Yes. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so whoever owns the website is the one who makes the money or something. Yeah. So in a way I, I encourage my fellow teachers out there to like, you know, surely it's good to collaborate and have centers you work with. I'm not saying don't teach at centers, but I think that the relationships have to change and teachers, if they are, I mean, again, maybe you don't have to have it be a livelihood, but if you are thinking of it that way or, or working in it that way, having your own amount of your own platform is, is kind of essential. You have to have a little bit of your own thing. Otherwise, it's not sustainable over time. Yeah. Good point, Jay. Where do you fit in on the idea? And I realize this won't be an easy question to answer. Where do you fit in on the idea that, like just today I heard, there's a lot of talk about social media, freedom of speech. And when I watched Social Dilemma, it made it obvious to me that like using social media apps and then communicating your message in there, it's you're not paying for the app and the app is letting you use it for free. So anytime you use something for free, therefore, you know, they own it, they control it. And when we're getting in discussion about whether someone should be allowed to be on a social media app and give their message out and then, you know, censorship, say YouTube, Twitter, whatever, pulling down the ability for people to speak what they want. A part of me just kind of says, well, yeah, but what would you expect? It's their service. Like it's their platform. I mean, you're not paying them and it's now becoming clear before it really wasn't as obvious, whereas now it is, um, you know, I, I just, um, I believe in free, obviously I believe in free speech. We were born in the States. I mean, we've been bred ever since we were kids to just all we know is how important free speech is. Um, I feel like on a podcast show, like we can talk, but I guess if the person that hosts this thing doesn't like what we say, they could pull it down and I'd be pissed and I'd be like, where am I going to put it now? You know, I mean, um, you would find a place. See, that's the thing. Podcasts yeah. are kind of like a killer app in the sense that mm. you, I'm just in my attic. Yeah. <laughs> you're, in, you're in your whatever you are, you're out. <laughs> and we can have an RSS feed. Yeah. And you can move that RSS feed to different servers and it's on the internet. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, the, it's the most independent form yeah. of it's social media. It is social media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying is true. Like if you're not paying for it, I find yeah. that you're in with money, you're paying for it in other ways. Yeah. Like with your data or, yeah. or you're the target. Like it's all about manipulating you yes. in a way yeah. uh, with advertising or whatever it is. Yes. But what we, what we really advocate for, this is a tip from our business course is like single use apps, like mm. finding the more independent company that really does the thing well and isn't trying to be everything Yeah, and putting yourself at the center. And then, you know, cause they always Squarespace starts out as this awesome thing. And as time goes on, they always implement things like over time we've watched it happen, you mm. know, MailChimp, it used to just be newsletters and now it's all this other marketing stuff. And eventually they start to squeeze you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? So yeah, yeah. the idea, and it goes back to the initial thing I was saying about inequality in corporations and the yeah. way that the 
grow or die mentality and system actually is not a sustainable model. And it's not sustainable for yoga and it's not sustainable for a broader society. And I've really been looking to figure out in the same way that we got into yoga as like an alternative lifestyle choice, mm. that there's a way to do the economics that support that, that are in line with that. Yeah. I like that. I like that inquiry. I think it's so important. How is your yoga practice serving you now? Wow. I would say that my yoga practice is very specific now. Mm. It's gotten so much less about its physicality. I mean, mm. I, I do breathing and moving, very simple breathing and moving exercises. Mm. The purpose of doing those breathing, moving exercises is not strength and flexibility. I used to say that for years but still was doing classes that incorporated those elements because I was really catering, I think, to the market or demands. Like when I taught at centers, like people wanted it to be their fitness as well. Yeah. And so even though I was more interested in the contemplative aspects, I, I still catered to that wanting of fitness, but I think partly just from switching to online and switching to like not trying to get a bigger audience and just, teaching to the people who were really interested in what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and then the pandemic, frankly, where everything fell apart and I just was trying to like keep my wits about me. Yeah. Um, and what I needed was practice that was gentle and caring and simple and, and ultimately like a direct experience mm. of what I believe to be the underlying truth of the matter, which mm. is, Mm. I am currently existing. You know, I, I have breath happening and a heart beating and I stand on a planet surrounded by infinite space and it's an utterly mind blowing mystical, magical phenomena taking place mm. and nothing needs to be done about it. And nice. that experience of what I call, what I would say is yoga or reality or, truth that is like i don't know the center from which i i wish to operate and the center that i think is at all everything and that's what i was talking about krishna das with too you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> nice. that when you're that you're in that state you know it's why people get into yoga i think and yeah. so for me to be really specific about that to yeah. be specific about why I do my practice. And then I incorporate other things. I do squats and other things now that I never did in the past because they help me feel physically better. Mm. But I, and I, I think that's part of my yoga. That's part of me taking care of myself. But my actual like hot tub practice mm. is very specifically about this um, introception to use the catchword of the day or down regulating of my system very often with myself in this heart-based kind of way. Nice, Jay. I like it. <laughs> you know, I, and I, I think and I, I just want to sit on that for a minute. <laughs> I, I, you know, to me, I will also add this to it, which is up until the pandemic hit, I had been, 
I don't know, kind of moving in a different direction, which was with what I thought was where people were at. And it, mm-hmm. and it was more of like talking about functional movement and like being very pragmatic. And I did take away the opening challenges to ohms and it was kind of going with the, you know, the conversations about appropriation and being more careful about a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then I realized that for myself, what I, when I first got into yoga, it was much more like poetry, you know, like mm-hmm. it was more like dance and poetry and like imagery and stuff. And I moved away from it and chanting and that what I called devotional aspect and Krishnadas didn't like devotional, although he talked as though it was a very devotional thing. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. what I mean by it is that there's like a, a feeling place in it. It's not like this more pragmatic, oh, look at the functional movement of when I reach my arm. It's more like being with the element. And mm. when I do a sun salutation, really pondering the sun as like an orb of energy without which I do not exist mm. and feeling like a gratitude for it or yeah. whatever, you know, like yeah. to me, like going to that place, yes, it doesn't sell workshops like handstands. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like I could yeah. be making yeah. way more money if I would do handstand workshops, yeah. but my yoga practice and therefore my teaching is about this more direct experiencing of things, which is hard to find words for and definitely yes. hard to like, <laughs> good point though i think that you laid that out in a way that it's palpable it's it's um i understand that i i agree with that i feel like i've had a similar effect in the last year or the, or, or the circumstances that we found us in has been positive in that respect so that's cool man i appreciate that I'm, I have one more, I don't think this is a tough question, but one more, one more tough question before we start to wrap it up. Um, what's something that's, that your, your children have taught you lately? I realize that not everybody has kids and I feel incredibly blessed to have gone like into a, you know, uh, introspective and or, you know, stay more put, you know, we've been very staying home and, and or within our general locale, um, more so than probably in the past. And so I, I guess I want to say for those of you that don't have kids, I, I just, um, realize that maybe this, this kind of question or talk about children might cause like, I wish I did have kids or I wish I didn't have kids. I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, man, it's incredible what they do and say, what's something that you've noticed being a dad that, They've taught you something lately. Well, first, I'm curious, how old are your kids? My son is 14 and my daughter is seven. Okay, okay. We have um, 11 and six. Nice. So not so different there. Well, gosh, I don't even, you know, I think there's a couple of different levels that I learned from having children. Um, I, I think the, the overriding thing is that I really don't have control over them. <laughs> like I don't, like I, I have very little say yeah. about who they are or what they're going to be. Yeah. Um, and you want to, like <laughs> you want to have say, you want to look out for them or whatever, but I'm learning more and more how little say I have. And that actually 
the only way they are really, the only way I have influence is through my example. Mm. Good so point. Yeah. I, I'm trying to like really be clear. So like if I lose it on them or something, I also make a practice of saying, I just lost it on you. I'm really sorry I did that. Yeah. Like I, I try to be real transparent, like in the same way I'm on the show with the kids, like, cause to me, it, the lesson there, and it's a bigger lesson for me in general is, you know, there's like an effort you make in whatever it is, whether it's like an awesome practice or whether it's like your business or whether it's like your parenting, like you make this effort, this good faith effort mm. to do what you think is right or be the person you want to be. And then it plays out how it's going to play out. Yeah. It's the abiyasa of Ayagya. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you, you do the practice and then you relinquish the effort. Like yeah. you have to, it's the yeah. relinquishing of the effort. Yeah. That I learned the most from them because yeah. I, I love them so much. I it's hard that. to just say like, okay, but you know, my oldest right now, She's become this like rampant BTS fan. Do you know BTS? What like is a it? K pop band. It's a K pop. Okay, band. I like know what that a, is. No, I didn't, I didn't know that specific one, but I, yeah, now I know. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like we had In Sync or Backstreet Boys. Yes. Well, they've got like Korean versions. Okay, yes, of that, yes. Like updated modern. And she's become a super fan. Like, uh-huh. and it's, I think it's her way of dealing with the pandemic. Like. Yep we had a second lockdown and she had this friend that she was in a pod with that she's not in a pod with. And I think instead of getting totally depressed about it, she became a fanatical fan of BTS. Uh-huh. But she's so annoying. She's <laughs> 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 like so profoundly annoying on a lot of levels. And she's whip smart and like brilliant and stuff, but she's like, she's so annoying. But so, I have to be able to recognize the situation, you know, and see her as yeah. the person that she is. Yeah. And I think being able to do that with her, like being able to do that with my partner, with my wife, yeah. like those kinds of relationships are where my yoga is most. Yeah. Like, nice. Because yeah. Those, those are the roles I've taken on. Those are the things I care about most deeply keep them healthy and strong and that's where my yoga is so the, the the breathing and moving i do personally and the teaching i do all are really to help me so that i can do these relationship things of my family and living out my daily life in a way that feels appropriate and good and right nice jay yeah, i can appreciate that that's awesome <laughs> um good stuff man i really i really enjoy this opportunity and um, some easy questions, hopefully easy, very short. Uh, what's a book you'll recommend everybody to read? Either something you've read recently and or just a good old all-time favorite. Oh, gosh. Well, I don't know. Let's that's, see. That I get two, two, that's okay. No, two <laughs> popped into my brain at once. Okay, and they're good. like opposite sides of the coin in a way of this conversation. So maybe okay. that's appropriate. Can okay. I give two? Please. So there's a book called Programmer Be Programmed. Okay. By Douglas Rushkoff. Who's I haven't heard of that. Show. He also it. wrote a book called uh, Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus. All right. Which I highly recommend. In okay, terms cool. Of, like the situation with where we are with the tech thing that we were talking yep. about. Yep, yep. 
And the other one, and this is more controversial, but it's to the point of things being more poetic and like heart spacey. Uh-huh. Um, there's a book called 14 Lessons in Yogi Philosophy. Mm. And the author is Yogi Ramacharaka. And it is a pseudonym. A lot of people believe it's another author. It kind of has a, a connection to the Theosophical Society. Okay. But this book, 14 Lessons, you can Google it. I actually think you can get free PDFs now because it's so old. Cool. So it's, it's a book that I found in a used bookstore when I first got into yoga. And, you know, again, it's a little bit of a controversial book, but there's some things in there that I just, to this day, have continued to be interesting inquiries. Awesome. Those are the two. Those are the books I would read. I have not heard of either of them, so I really appreciate that because I'm always looking for a new direction to keep reading in. And cool. um, last question, just because I love music so much, and I love that you that you say, you know, I'm just a punk kind of guy. Um, <laughs> uh, favorite punk band? Oh gosh, well I, I I have to say the Clash, I guess. Yes, good one. Good answer. No, it have to be the Clash. I mean, there's other punk bands <laughs> I could think of, but I've actually recently, you know, I talked about this tech fast. I'm yeah. trying to find things to do with myself. And one of the things I've been doing, and I guess it's a little bit of a hedge, is listening to my CD. I have all these CDs. Yeah. I actually bought a CD boombox. Yeah, man. I'm telling and, you. I, I mean, those, those are still digital, but they're just, they're, they're like single use. There's something and about I've it, been, picking it up, putting it in. I know. <laughs> and I've been listening to all these Clash, like Clash albums and stuff. And like, so I, I love the Clash. the Clash. Dude, they're awesome. Joe Strummer is one of the all time greats. Well, if you didn't listen to that podcast series on Spotify that they did, uh, Chuck I, D did a whole thing. If you didn't listen to it, you got to listen to it. I didn't hear that. I will. Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, totally. You know, Jay, you took time out of your day, um, out of the, you know, just goodness of your heart. I really appreciate it. I really want to encourage everybody listening to check check out your website, jbrownyoga.com. I love your podcast show. So if that isn't already obvious, please please go uh, go check it out, everybody. And um, I also, every time I hear you talking about your business course, that sounds extremely interesting to me. And uh so any yoga people out there, I, that that's a great option. And um, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to close us with? Yeah, I want I want to say to you, Todd, that uh, I have been doing my podcast for oh, some years now. I think two hundred and fifty-five episodes. Nice. Well, two hundred fifty-five yesterday. Wow. And I have also been on a lot of other people's podcasts. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it because this has been exhilarating and fun. <laughs> and you. I said things in this podcast I haven't said on other podcasts, even my own. And it, it, it's a certain person who engages in a conversation like this in a present way. And I, I just want to really compliment you. Oh, man, thank you. Encourage you to keep doing it because this is... Uh, really gets me off to having kind of like vital <laughs> yeah. conversations. I don't know if that's a, a bad way to put it, but it really does. It makes me feel more hopeful. Awesome. You asked me about feeling hopeful yeah, yeah, and connecting with somebody like you in this way, just off the bat like this in such a real way makes me feel hopeful for the future. So kudos oh, to you, man. Really, you, really enjoyed this a it's, lot. It's mutually, it's a mutual respect. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. 
cool. Cool, man. Well, I wish you a good day. I haven't looked at my phone at all today, so who knows what I'm going <laughs> to, who knows what's coming our way this afternoon. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, thank you, Jay. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to connecting in the future. All right, man. Take care. Let's be in touch. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode. I hope it brought some hope, excitement, um, appreciation for all the great things that we have at our fingertips. One wonderful thing to continue to do is just take a breath in and out. Are you still here? (laughs) Are you still alive? The chances are yes. All right, let's try it again. Breathe in and breathe out. It's like that simple. These days it feels like uh, the most important thing is just to get present, get grounded, and um, just one breath at a time.